written by a whole lot of people over a long period of time, but really we believe that God is the primary author and that he speaks when we open this. And so my, my, my hope for you guys, again, I said it last week, is just that God would speak to you through his word tonight, that you would receive it. And what we just got done doing was something called worship. You, know, you can worship in a lot of different ways, uh, but that was worth worshiping through song and through music. And we just believe in a God who loves us so much that he is deserving of our love and our adoration through worship. Um, I'm not going to keep going with that, but that's what I want you guys to be encouraged by tonight as you come into this room. And can I just start off by confessing something to you guys? Is that okay? Is that cool? Okay. Thank you. Thank you for affirming me. Um, really need that. So tonight is like the first time all year that I've gotten up here and felt like super on edge and like nervous and anxious. And I don't know what it is, but maybe you guys can kind of relate. It's just one of those days. Uh, it feels a little bit off. And, and when, when we were singing those songs, I, I felt like those lyrics... It may look like I'm surrounded, but I'm surrounded by you. Like that, that put words to what I'm feeling right now. Like I just feel like this is a moment where I feel surrounded by something. But the truth is, is that Jesus is here, um, that he's around us. And if you don't know Jesus, I just pray that you would know Jesus tonight. Um, so let's get into it. Uh, I have the awesome privilege of getting to work here, but this is not my only job. I'm also a nanny or a babysitter or a, a manny, whatever you want to call it. I hate all of those labels, so I don't really like saying them, uh, but throughout the summer and throughout the school year, every now and then, I take care of three kids, two boys who are eight and ten, and a four-year-old girl. I love them. They're incredible, and I love having that job. In fact, I have learned a lot about kids in the past two years taking care of these kids, and it's sort of like, sort of like free parental training and emphasis on the sort of. Um, but anyway, the one thing that I've noticed about these, particularly two boys, is how much they are obsessed with winning. They don't care what game it is. It could be a card game, a board game, a sport, a video game, a scavenger hunt, a race. They do not care. They just roll out of bed with this mission to stack up wins in whatever is in front of them, particularly against me. Like, they love to brag against me. And candidly, sometimes I get super frustrated with how these, how these dudes compete. They make up rules. They cheat. Uh, if worse comes to worse, well, words are hard today. If worse comes to worse, they cry over it. They get upset. They shut down. And in that moment, I'm like, man, what is up with these kids? And so I get baffled by how persistent they are about winning. It literally consumes them. But in reality, these behaviors and this mentality I've seen actually relates to me in a lot a lot of ways, more than I thought, and in those moments where I'm with them and I'm reminded of my childhood, that desire that I had to gain success and gain approval was deep within me as well. Uh, but not only that, I think that this mentality is driven deep into humanity and particularly in our Western culture where we are right now. You see, I think the way that the world has defined winning is so far off. And I'm not talking about just winning a game, like I love winning, but I'm talking about trying to win in life. Or for you right now, it's how to win at high school. And, you know, it's, we make it about us. It's about being comfortable in our own accomplishment. It's about how we appear to others. It's about how we satisfy ourselves. And at times, it's about impressing other people 
teachers, coaches, friends, maybe even God. So tonight we're going to be wrapping up our series called How to Win at High School. If you've missed a week, I would definitely encourage you to go check out our podcast and listen to the previous messages. Uh, But tonight we're going to conclude by opening up to Philippians 3. Just to remind you about what's happening here, the Apostle Paul is in prison. And he's writing this letter that we call Philippians to the church that he planted in Philippi. The message of this letter is one of encouragement. That they ought to live as people, not of a Roman colony, but of, as a, but of a heavenly colony. To live lives worthy of the gospel, which just means worthy of the good news of Jesus' sacrifice for them. And in this passage tonight, we're going to get a little bit of a glimpse into the life of Paul, who he is, how Jesus has transformed his life, and how the truth that he has found in that experience can actually apply to us and lead you to survive and thrive in this season of life that is called high school. And this is what I want you to hear. The way the world has defined winning for you is wrong. It's exhausting. And it will not actually lead to true victory. See, tonight's message is called winning doesn't look like winning. The truth is, in the Christian life, winning looks a lot like losing. It looks like Dying to yourself. And if you hear that and you think, man, why the heck would I want to follow Jesus and lose? Just stay with me. Don't tune out yet. Let's check out what the text has to say. Go ahead. Open up to Philippians. It's near the back of your Bible. Um, Yeah, go ahead. Turn there. Otherwise, it'll be on the screen. We're going to be Philippians 3, starting in verse 7. It says, But everything that was a gain to me, I have considered to be a loss because of Christ. More than that, I also consider everything to be a loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. Because of him, I suffered the loss of all things and considered them as dung, so that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own from the law, but one that is through faith in Christ, the righteousness of God based on faith. My goal is to know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death, assuming that I will somehow reach the resurrection from among the dead. All right, this passage has so much to it, and as I was preparing for tonight, I was tempted to write out like a six or seven point sermon and touch on absolutely everything in here, Um, but you're welcome. I'm not going to do that. My encouragement for you would actually be to just over Thanksgiving break, like you guys have a week off, well from next, I guess not really school, but sort of, Uh, take that week and like dive into this yourself, dive into it with your small group, dive into it with someone and I just don't want you to miss out on the treasure that is within these words that we can't even get to in 20 minutes. Um, And so for tonight, I just have two main things that I want you to see. The first one is that winning doesn't look like winning, it looks like Forfeiting your past achievements. Second one is winning doesn't look like winning. It looks like knowing the one who has already won. The beginning of the passage in verse 7, Paul says, everything that was a gain to me. So before we get too far, let's find out exactly what it was that he once considered a gain. In verse 4, he says, 
Although I have reasons for confidence in the flesh, if anyone else thinks he has grounds for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the nation of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew born of Hebrews, regarding the law of Pharisee, regarding zeal, persecuting the church, and regarding the righteousness that is in the law, blameless. And so Paul, this guy that we talk about so often in the church, he's a pretty successful and accomplished dude. And, and I'm not even talking about as the apostle that we know him as post coming to Christ. Like even before Christ, he had a reason to be confident in his accomplishments. He had a perfect pedigree. He was a top-tier Pharisee. He followed all the rules. He knew the ins and outs of what we now call the Old Testament. He lived up to the expectations of others. He had a reputation, and he was zealous for God, even though he didn't quite yet see God fully. You guys, you guys probably know the story. The Pharisees were the ones who wanted Jesus crucified, and he was on that team. But here, Paul is clearly stating that whatever confidence people have in their own track record, or their accomplishments, he would have way more. He is elite when it comes to religious people during that day. But in verse 7, we see a drastic transformation. He says, but everything that was a gain to me, I have considered it to be a loss because of Christ. So first we see that winning doesn't look like winning. It looks like forfeiting your past achievements. Paul continues in verse 8 saying, more than that, I also consider everything to be a loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. I also consider everything to be a loss. So he doubled down on his statement. And what, what happens here is Paul has come to a realization about all of his religious accomplishments. He realizes that they were just things that he did in order to earn God's love and to do the things for God out of his own strength. Because of that, he sees that those accomplishments were unworthy of pursuit. He regards them as a loss. You see, nobody, nobody pursues losing. No team, no sport, no game, no race. Nobody is pursuing loss in that. And so the reason that he con considers those things to be losses or essentially not worth anything is because they're not worth pursuing. They're not worth giving your life to. And in other words, he viewed these past achievements as something to count in a negative light. You see, we don't count losses in our lives. We count wins. Just like those kids that I talked about earlier, they would never, ever count their losses. They would never broadcast their losses because they only want to display their wins. But yet, Paul has come to a place where he actually can be more confident in counting his losses than counting his wins or his successes. Because when he started to compare the track record, his pedigree, to the reality and the relationship that he had with Jesus, he found that nothing compared in value or worth to that. Jesus is the highlight, the part of his life that he most desperately wants to show off to the world. And because of that, we see that forfeiting his past achievement actually brought a greater victory. You see, I remember when I was young, I played soccer and basketball, and you know at the end of a good season, you, everyone gets a trophy, and I remember I just cherished those trophies. Every year I would look forward to getting another trophy because gaining all of these trophies each year actually boosted my self-confidence, made me feel more successful, all of that. 
But a couple months ago, I took all those trophies and I threw them away. He asked why. Because apart from like a sentimental value, those things lost meaning for me. And I think that the call for us is to do the same with our life. To do the same with the rest of our life. To identify the things that we put our confidence in and throw them out. Throw them out in view of the surpassing, more excellent value of knowing Jesus Christ and pursuing him. Because there's nothing more satisfying than that. And I think there is a simple statement that can prove it. You want to know why Jesus is more valuable? Read this quote. It says, We can all go to heaven without health, without wealth, without fame, without learning, without culture, without beauty, without friends, without ten thousands of things. But we can never go to heaven without Christ. Man, how many of those things do we pursue every day? The point is that none of those things could ever gain you anything eternally significant. You don't need to pursue them because you don't actually need them. And I want, to, I want you to hear the freedom in that. Nothing but Christ can actually give you the life that you were meant to live. And Paul has realized that. And that's why he says everything is considered a loss to him. And students, maybe some of you can relate to Paul tonight. Maybe you come from a really great family. Maybe you know your Bible really well. And maybe you have a great church attendance. I don't know, maybe you're a straight-A student, you're a starter on the team. You're well-liked and you're respected among your peers. Those are good things, but they are considered a loss in view of the, the value of knowing Jesus. They're considered a loss because when we seek to achieve those things, we put our confidence in our own flesh. Paul describes the word, sorry, Paul describes the works of our flesh with the word dung, which really translates to BS. The things you do for God in your own strength to earn his approval are a pile of BS. I don't know. I think it's great. I love that he put that word in there. But anyway, maybe you're on the other side of the spectrum. You don't even know why you're here tonight. Maybe someone made you come. Maybe, maybe you have a broken family. You don't care about what I'm saying right now. You certainly don't want to care all about what sin is, and, and maybe you don't really want to know who this Jesus guy really is, and you don't have a, a reputation or a pedigree like Paul or your friends. You see achievement in how many people you can hook up with or, or what you can get away with. You see achievement in things that most of your Christian friends would cringe at. And if that's you, I want you to know that you're like me. Or at least, you're like me when I was in high school. And I just want to tell you that, man, the call is the same for you. Whether you have a life full of trying to please God or you have a life of not caring or even rebelling against God, the call is for you to count everything as loss. To understand that the value of knowing Jesus supersedes all other realities of life. The things I did with my girlfriend in high school viewed as a success by myself and my friends, counted as a loss. 
being up here preaching God's word in front of a bunch of high schoolers, viewed as a success from people in the church, or my pride, counted as loss. It's all loss. Because none of it can actually gain me anything that is ultimately worth it. But Jesus revealed himself to me, and my prayer is he would reveal himself to all of you. And because of that, it's the, he becomes the, the thing that I really want to gain. Really, actually, the only thing that I want to gain. And, and friends, the gospel is, is simply the good news that your entire past, present, and future can be paid for. The gospel is that nothing can separate you from the love of God. Your past is forgotten when you are in Christ, and the way you define victory is transformed. And if Christ has overlooked that record in order to forgive you, why wouldn't you do the same? Stop keeping a record. The gospel is too glorious to keep holding on to those past achievements or those past failures. So winning doesn't look like winning. It looks like forfeiting your past. Amen? 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 Okay, cool. Make sure you guys are awake over there. All right, let's pick back up in Philippians 3, starting halfway through verse 8. It says, Because of him I have suffered the loss of all things and consider them as dung, so that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Not having a righteousness of my own from the law, but one that is through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God based on faith. My goal is to know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death, assuming that I will somehow reach the resurrection from among the dead. Like I said earlier tonight, I would definitely encourage you guys to take this text, go dive into it, go talk about it in small groups, because, man, I wish that I could just like get a three-hour coffee meeting with some of you guys and just pick this thing apart. But I can't do that. And so I will leave you with this other thing to hold on to. It says, winning doesn't look like winning. Winning looks like knowing the one who has already won. All right, so Paul is, Paul is writing about being found in Christ, about having the righteousness of Christ through faith. Those are big words and big ideas that can easily blow over our heads. But really what this is saying is that Paul is okay. He's okay with actually just giving up his life of trying to earn God's love and favor. He can afford to lose his life and his righteousness because there is a much greater life available to him in Christ. You see, people, people strive, people stress, and they grind because they believe that what they have right now is not yet enough. They believe that they are not Enough, but if you're a believer, you have the freedom to lay down your life and cease your striving because you have far more than enough in Jesus. You have way more than enough in Jesus, and, and that's because he's already won. He already lived the perfect life. He took your sin on himself. He died on the cross and resurrected from the dead, defeating death. And you didn't deserve any of that. It's an incomprehensible love, and, and that is why winning is really just knowing him. The one who's already won. Paul says this so clearly. He says, my goal is to know him. My goal is to know him. 
And friends, knowing Jesus isn't just knowing the events of his life. Knowing Jesus isn't the ability to rattle off all his miracles or to memorize the names of all his disciples. Knowing Jesus isn't just knowing the moral example that he set and the Christian sayings that we all remember. And knowing Jesus isn't even knowing what he did on the cross. You see, knowing Jesus is living in a constant awareness of his presence. Always in connection to him. Knowing him is conversing with him and experiencing life with him. Knowing Jesus is recognizing him in your day-to-day and seeing the ways that he is working in your life. And we can know Jesus through all of these ways and, and so many more. But ultimately, it is because that he promises to live in us. Which just means that he is abiding in us as we abide in him. Through the Holy Spirit. All of those things I just listed are ways that you can know Jesus and are evidence that he is living in you. And if you want to know Jesus, the invitation is open. Don't hesitate. Talk to me. Talk to your small group leader. It can be hard at first, but, but trust that he will be at work in you and, and that he will be with you. And as Paul, Paul sits in this prison, he declares his longing for that connection. He says, my goal is to know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death, assuming that I will somehow reach the resurrection from among the dead. You see, friends, knowing Jesus deeply is also knowing the power of his resurrection, but also being conformed to his death through sufferings. More specifically, part of following Jesus is getting to experience his resurrection power in those sufferings. Paul knows this all too well. In 2 Corinthians 11, he writes this. He says, In whatever anyone dares to boast, I'm talking foolishly, I also dare. Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they descendants of Abraham? So am I. Are they servants of Christ? I'm talking like a madman, but I'm a better one. With far more labors, many more imprisonments, far worse beatings, many times near death. Five times I received the 40 lashes minus one from the Jews. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I received a stoning. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. On frequent journeys I faced dangers from rivers, dangers from robbers, dangers from my own people, dangers from Gentiles, dangers in the city, dangers in the wilderness, Dangers at sea and dangers among false brothers. Toil and hardship, many sleepless nights, hunger and thirst, often without food, cold and without clothing, not to mention other things. There is the daily pressure on me, my concern for all the churches. Who is weak and I am not weak? Who is made to stumble and I do not burn with indignation? If boasting is necessary, I will boast about my weaknesses. That was Paul's experience. For us in this room, we'll likely never have to have persecution or suffering quite like that. But but we can be encouraged by his life because even so, following Jesus might actually cause you to lose everything. Like you can count all your sin and your achievements as loss and trust in Christ alone. But also you might just lose. See, remember, the guy writing this is sitting in prison. You might just 
lose, but losing in this sense is an opportunity. To be conformed or united to the death of Christ by picking up your cross daily. And in that, you can experience the resurrection power of Jesus. That's the exciting part. The evident, life-giving, transforming power of Christ's resurrection from the grave that is in you. And the worst of sufferings, the internal perspective remains. That Christ is in us and that he is going to sustain us until the end. Paul says, I will somehow reach the resurrection from the dead. And so he sees that suffering and death is necessary in order to experience the resurrection power of Christ. You can't experience the power and the resurrection of Christ without the suffering, without the cross, without death. And you can live this out tomorrow. You can live out the resurrection power of Christ tomorrow by simply being aware of the presence and connection to Christ through the Holy Spirit. Take a few minutes throughout your day. Breathe. Acknowledge that Jesus is present. Start your day with him. Ask him to strengthen you so that you can pick up your cross and follow him with your next 24 hours. That's what you're called to do. He doesn't say pick up your cross and follow me for 10 years. He says pick up your cross and follow me today. Deny yourself today. 24 hours. And then we string those days together. And it's so much more practical than we make it seem. And so Paul continues in Philippians 3. In verse 12, and he writes, Not that I've already reached the goal, the goal of the resurrection power, the goal of the resurrection body. Not that I've reached the goal or I'm already perfect, but I make every effort to take hold of it because I have been taken hold of by Christ Jesus. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and reaching forward to what is ahead. I pursue as my goal the prize promised by God's heavenly call in Christ Jesus. Therefore, let all of us who are mature think this way. So get to know the one who has already won. Pursue Jesus. And you will thrive no matter the circumstance. And to close out tonight, I just want to address what I think is a common feeling across the room. See, we can talk about Jesus, we can talk about suffering, we can count our achievements as loss all day long, but so many of you in this room are crippled by a worldly vision for your future. When I was graduating high school, I was standing on a nearly perfect GPA, I had a really good ACT, and I was admitted to a top five business school in the country. I had a mom who was already telling me about the jobs that I could have, making seven figures within 10 years, and so I was like, all right, that's where I'm headed. But the problem was, I just wanted to be comfortable. The problem with that was I just wanted to be comfortable, and I think a lot of you are in that same boat. You think, you think about high school and what's next in life, and, and you're really just plotting out how to be most comfortable in life. How to make enough money to have nice things, to look good to others, and not worry ever again. And that's where I was. But that isn't godly. Making, making a ton of money 
isn't inherently bad, but it's the heart behind it that could cause you to miss the mark. See, God doesn't promise comfortability, but he does promise that, he will be, that we will be comforted. A year into college, I was out on comfortability. I no longer wanted to fulfill people's expectations of me and pursue the dream life. I wanted to pursue the life that God was calling me to. And it was uncomfortable. And often it's still uncomfortable. I disappointed people in my family. I made moves in my life in faith that doors would open. And for me, that was vocational high school ministry. For you, it could be so many other things. But, but don't turn away from what God has just because it might be uncomfortable. And what he might have for you tomorrow is a, is a small faithful step that no one notices. It might be uncomfortable. It might be telling someone how beautiful Jesus is. Don't miss it in fear of that discomfort. Because he promises that he will comfort you in the midst of it. And if Christ is taking hold of your heart, students... If Christ is taking hold of your heart like he did Paul's, then my challenge for you is the same as Paul's. Begin to think this way. Learn how to actually win even when it looks more like losing. Learn to forfeit your past achievements. Get to know the one who has already won. And lastly, I I know a lot of you are probably pretty familiar with Philippians 4, at least the quotable parts of it, Philippians 4.13. You guys have seen it everywhere. But what I think is really cool about that is that there's no Philippians 4 without Philippians 3. So in view of everything that we talked about tonight, everything that Paul is explaining to us, I, I, I want you guys to receive this passage with those eyes. And actually, I'm just going to have you guys all close your eyes. Everyone in the room, I want you to close your eyes. If you're messing around with your friends, just lock in for a minute. Because I just think this is important. We hear this verse in particular all the time. Man, this is, this is the context from which Paul's writing it, is, is everything that we talked about tonight. And so I'm just going to pick up with your eyes closed, just, just em- embrace this truth. It's in Philippians 4 verse 11. It says, I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I find myself. I know both how to make do with a little, and I know how to make do with a lot. In any and all circumstances, I have learned the secret of being content. Whether well-fed or hungry, whether in abundance or in need, I am able to do all things through him who strengthens me. Jesus, thank you for tonight. God, thank you that there are just so many students in this room, and God, we just acknowledge that each one of us is a, a soul that was separated from you. Our sin, our sin is what has us missed the mark. God, you're holy and perfect, and we are not. Everything that we do to try to get back to you is dung. It's BS. And so we count it as loss in the view of the incredible infinite value of knowing you. And Jesus, my only prayer for this room is that these students would know you. 
that they would love you. So I pray that in the matchless name of Jesus Christ, through the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. All right, friends. I love you guys so much. We are not going to be here next week, but you can head to small groups. If you don't know where you're going, if you don't know who your small group leader is, or you've first time here, come talk to me.